a new battle over Georgia's voting machines. We've got great, well-run elections in Georgia. We're a model for the country, and we, we will continue to be so going forward in the 2024 election. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Patricia Murphy. Greg Bluestein is on vacation on a beach somewhere. So joining me for our Friday edition is AJC Editor-at-Large Kevin Riley and our Metro columnist Bill Torpy. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I think that between the three of us, we can fill in for Greg. And Kevin, tell me, what does it mean right now for you to be an editor-at-large? I really, it is so much uh, work and so complicated. Patricia, I'd really rather not get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Bill Torpy, what does it mean to be a Metro columnist right now? (laughs) Well, it's so so much work and so complicated that I really can't go into that right now. (laughs) We're not going to get through this podcast, but we are going to do our very best, or at least I am. I can't speak for those two, but I'm going to do my very best to get through this podcast. Coming up later, we're going to dig into the push by opponents of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center to put the fate of the project on the ballot for Atlanta voters. But next, we'll look at why Georgia's Dominion voting machines are back in the headlines and why election security is already becoming a flashpoint for the 2026 elections that are still three and a half years away. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. We invite you to join us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. If you like what you hear, leave a review and share Politically Georgia with a friend. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey there, I'm Stephen Schumacher, president of Only in Cartersville Bartow. Need a break from election season? Escape the hustle and bustle in Cartersville, Georgia, where you can start your day with a rejuvenating hike at Red Top Mountain State Park and wind down at Timberline Glamping's newest location at Pine Acres on Lake Alatoona. Looking for more fun by the water? Check out Terminus Wake Park or grab a kayak and paddle down the Etowah River. And don't forget to mark your calendars now for Barbecue and Bruce Fest in downtown Cartersville on April 20th. Unwind where relaxation meets adventure and create memories that can be made only in Cartersville Bartow. When you prepare your Georgia income tax return, please consider adding a few dollars to Line 33. To support the Georgia Cancer Research Fund, managed by Georgia Core. these funds go to researchers hard at work at Georgia's research institutions and medical schools, finding new ways to fight cancer. They're developing new treatments and new tools for diagnosis, all to save lives. It's easy to do. Just look for Line 33. More information is available at georgiacancerinfo.org. All right. Well, the security of Georgia's voting machines are back in the news. An election security report released last week detailed potential vulnerabilities in the machines that could allow a hacker to change votes. Now, a separate simultaneous report found the risk of that kind of a hacking to be remote, given safety standard procedures that are already used by election officials. The detailed findings and dually findings were produced as a part of an ongoing lawsuit over the Georgia Dominion voting machines and unsealed last week by Georgia District Judge Amy Totenberg. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said his office was already addressing the issues with the vulnerabilities, with one exception. The state has not yet upgraded to the latest version of its Dominion software, and it doesn't plan to do so until after the 2024 elections. Raffensperger said the newest software needs more testing, and he said no jurisdiction in the state has deployed it yet. Gabriel Sterling from the Secretary of State's office spoke about the findings of those reports and also about the security right now of the Dominion machines. If somebody's insisting on trying to do something as a bad actor, it doesn't matter what the system is. And what the minor report shows is one bad actor can't do something that can be propagated over the entire system. The state elections board took up this issue on Wednesday. This is Gene Dufert from the Morgan County Democratic Committee. Voters can't wait. America can't wait. The path for the 2024 presidential election runs through Georgia, and it is unfathomable why anyone would refuse to protect our elections if they had the power to act. All of this has caught the attention of Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who has asked for a meeting with Raffensperger, and former U.S. Senator Kelly Loeffler, who put out a statement last week saying that the failure to address the software is unacceptable. So that is a very lengthy lead up to what is going to be a really big issue in 2024 
and 2026. But Bill Torpy, what do you make of these two reports? We essentially have two different election security reports in the same lawsuit that say different things. But Republicans are really pouncing on the report that said the Dominion machines could be vulnerable to a hacker. Right. The professor, the uh, computer expert that they had was a plaintiff's expert. And of course, he said these things because that's what they do. As I've said before, that it's, it's almost like uh, each side gets their experts and one side will pick a retired uh, coroner or something to say that, you know, the dead guy was killed by nefarious means and that helps their lawsuit. This report, I mean, it showed that there were vulnerabilities, but as we all know, or most of us know, that nothing uh, happened on a grand scale. So it basically just shows that uh, something is vulnerable, maybe, but uh, my home is vulnerable, but it doesn't mean that, you know, I've been burglarized, right? Or maybe I don't know that I was burglarized and I need a forensic audit to see if my TV is still there. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's... Um, it's some well, it, and, and I guess to put it uh, as you talked about it, Burt Jones has something to talk about it. You know, as uh, uh, he's going to be running for governor, and Kev- Kelly Leffler was like, "Wow, is she still around?" So I guess she's she's she is running, is she? So Kevin, these Dominion voting machines, these were upgraded by the state, chosen by the state legislature, cost a significant amount of money. And Raffensperger has said, and multiple recounts proved that the election in 2020 um, was accurate. It was fair. There was no widespread fraud. The results were the results. But what do you make of this from a standpoint of, of when we're reporting this, obviously, we want to report it accurately. But Republicans are focusing only on the report that shows it could be vulnerable Raffensperger is saying it's only vulnerable if you don't have security procedures, but we have security procedures. What do you make of all of this? Well, I've been very proud of our reporting for a long time now, uh, including yours and Greg's and Mark Nisi's. And I think we have to call it as we see it. So there's a couple things. Any good conspiracy theory has a several hard to follow details, which provide the rabbit holes that must be uh, gone down for the conspiracy theory to survive, right? And that's what they've they've found in this report that this, if this, if this, if this, if this, if this happened, w- someone could steal the election. And uh, there's no proof that all those things ever happened. And as Raffensperger is so fond of pointing out, um, there there that would be really hard for those things to happen. And there's great confidence. And and uh, I mean, he's always been a fan of these machines. So you remember that online uh, show we had with Mark Nisi where Raffensperger was demonstrating the new machines. I mean, he has never seemed happier than in that moment when he was demonstrating those machines when I saw him. And then the, the other thing I would say, Patricia, really, okay, so. You and I are going to – let's choose up sides, and we want to really get a good group of smart people who will do the right thing together. And on one team, we can have Gabe Sterling and Brad Raffensperger. And on the other team, we can have Kelly Loeffler and Burt Jones. And let's throw Josh McCoon in there. I mean, who are you going to trust in this situation? Who should we listen to? A guy who's been a fake elector and tried to you know, undermine the entire election in Georgia? Or a guy like Gabe Sterling who – it started out as kind of a minor player and called out the president and was right. So to me, it's not a hard thing to understand. Do you think it's fair or important to at least acknowledge the two reports from the lawsuit? It was so interesting to me that Totenberg decided to release both of these. Uh, Just go ahead. They had been sealed, but she put them both out there. She must have known that um, these would be used by political actors in particular to say, look, we told you these machines, you can't trust these. Um, It still seems important, though, to get them out there so that people know what has been presented in the lawsuit. Well, if she didn't put them out, it would be a case of, well, what are you hiding? And I think that she... They, are, they, they were redacted, uh, so there are, you know, so I guess people could say, well, what are you hiding there? But I think if she didn't uh, release them, then that would have just allowed, as Kevin was talking about, one more notch in the conspiracy theorist's uh, belt 
So um, I, I think it was just, a, you know, she kind of had to do it. Yeah. And Kevin, what do you make of Raffensperger's response and Gabe Sterling's response? It's so hard when you have people trying to prove a hypothetical, you know, when people are saying, well, you these, this could happen and you should update the software. Raffensperger is saying right now, we're not going to update the software. The r- machines are fine. Is there anything more that you think he needs to say or do to instill and ensure confidence in those voting machines? Because it seems like some Republicans are going to be talking about these machines all the way up to 2024. And you know, Donald Trump is going to take that ball and run with it, too. Right. And I think the Secretary of State, you know, will probably do more and can do more. I mean, I read some of his comments pretty closely. And, um, you know, I, again, I'm not suggesting to him what he should say. But it, what it, what I read was a point of view that says we would really rather not be the first state to go with an upgrade until we see how it performs. And he's got his eye on Ohio, which has gone with the latest software. So what I would say if I were him was like, all of you work in places where you know what it's like when they quote unquote upgrade the system. And most wise IT people will be what they like to refer to as fast followers. In other words, don't be the first person to go with the upgrade. Let someone else who either has to upgrade or wants to upgrade fast and see what trouble they have and then do your upgrade. So, I mean, I think it's good for Georgia that we have this kind of nerdy engineer guy as a secretary of state during these times, because he seems to know the system and enjoy knowing the system, and he loves an argument about it. And I think the more that's out in the open, the harder it is to argue there's a conspiracy. And, you know, I'll just come back to Kelly Leffler. She called for Raffensperger to resign at because Trump told her to say that. And then he stood up to her. So I just don't think she's credible on this thing at all. Okay, and Torpy, so let's talk about this as a political issue and kind of a politicized situation. This, the, the ability and the insistence of Donald Trump of insisting that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. When you go to his rallies, and we were just down at the Georgia GOP convention as well, um, whenever any Republican, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, said that election was rigged, the election was stolen, it just gets the base going bananas. They they want to hear that message. They agree with that message. And they don't trust the machines. So when you have these three very high-profile Republicans, Burt Jones, Kelly Loeffler, and Brad Raffensperger, coming down on different sides of this issue. And uh, Raffensperger will be litigating and overseeing the 24 elections, which Donald Trump may be a part of. Um, You can start to see battle lines being drawn for a potential 26 run for all of these three who are all being talked about as potential gubernatorial candidates for 2026. It just feels like this is going to be a big piece of people's arguments because Raffensperger is overseeing the 24 elections and they're seeing these um, reports come out about the machines that he has the authority to oversee. What do you think about that as as an election issue? Well, I mean, it's going to be deja vu all over again. Uh, and then you one name that you didn't mention was Chris Carr, the attorney general who right. uh, has uh, been trying to kind of carve out his lane. And uh, I, I saw this week that there was a story by the election board uh, chief, uh, Judge Duffy, a, for, a retired federal judge. And uh, he was frustrated that nothing has come about of the report uh, from Coffee County, where a bunch of MAGA uh, folks walked into the uh, and got got dug into the software. So if there's any shenanigans been going on with the election system, it's the tinfoil hat crowd. And the, the MAGA folks were down there. And the judge, Judge Zuffi, was asking, well, why is this taking so long with the GBI? Well, you know, I don't think Chris Carr, who wants to run for governor, uh, wants to mess with that, right? He doesn't want to get those guys mad. So, uh, you know, he'll stick to the, uh, you know, going after the moon bats uh, with Cop City. So, um, but, you know, I think this is going to be just something that is going to be protracted unless, you know, go go figure. If if Trump 
doesn't run for president somehow, or he gets beaten in the primary or gets, you know, hammered in 2024, then I don't think this is a big issue in 2026, right? This is, you know, so 2020 of us to t talk about that. Or maybe, maybe it'll be the <laughs> top issue again. Who knows? It is. It's very 2020 of us to talk about it. But you know, Kevin, it's kind of 2018 of us to talk about it too, because um, Brian Kemp's decision to continue to oversee the election when he was Secretary of State in 2018 was a huge issue in his race with Stacey Abrams. Then in 2022, the conduct of the 2020 elections and Brian Kemp's refusal and Brad Raffensperger's refusal to overturn the Georgia election for Donald Trump. That was a gigantic issue in those 2022 issues. So all of a sudden, like the choices of the referees are becoming the issues for the candidates who were also the referees at the time. It puts Raffensperger in a really unusual position if he does want to continue to to um, to be in politics. The way he conducts the elections is really his calling card for how he's managing his office and how he's making his choices. And this is a, this is going to be a big piece of it. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I think what you're saying, right, just to cut right to the chase, right, it's possible Raffensperger runs for governor while he's secretary of state. In other words, then uh, instead of just his opponent uh, complaining about how the election is being managed, people in his own party apparently will, will be uh, as well. And I do think that he's got a tough decision there. And again, I would say the best thing he can do now is continue to take on these suspicions and be open about what we're doing, what he's doing, why he's doing it, create confidence while others try to undermine it, and then make the decision um, for the good of the state probably to resign as Secretary of State if he's going to run as governor and, and, and prepare for that now so whoever takes that job is someone that we can trust as citizens. Well, I mean, wouldn't that make sense to you, Patricia, to just take the issue away from people? Because during that Stacey Abrams uh, Kemp race, it was just a terrible distraction. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Kemp eventually did end up handing the administration of the office over, um, but not until the very, very, very last minute. And it seems like that's something he could have done much, much earlier. And it was almost the blueprint of what not to do if you happen to be a secretary of state who also happens to run for governor the next time around. Like, don't do that. It didn't go well. It made that race so much closer than I think it would have been otherwise. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. I think if, that's, I'll, I'll if that forward. ends up being a choice that Raffensperger makes... I'll look forward to that, that campaign coverage of yours when you get to raise your hand and ask Brad Raffensperger if he's going to resign if he gets the <laughs> nomination on the Republican side to be governor, right? I mean, you will you almost certainly will be the one to ask. Oh, I definitely will. Or as editor at large, you can come with me to that press conference and we can ask him together. That sounds um, like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be more work than maybe you're than you're anticipating in your new role as editor at large. Well, we're going to continue to cover, of course, the um, the ins and outs and the outcome of that uh, lawsuit over the Dominion voting machines. And we will continue absolutely to to watch very carefully these Republicans as they are. They're all sort of moving around each other and taking kind of very early swipes and pushbacks at the other as it does feel like people are starting to maneuver for their next uh, statewide elections, even though they all just got done with a statewide election not too long ago. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.
And you're back with Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We think the Jolt Morning Newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. And any of our loyal readers might have noticed that we have started summer hours here at The Jolt. We have decided to put The Jolt out sometime after 630 in the morning. That was proving extremely early. And we decided, Kevin, in your absence, now that you're not the editor anymore, (laughs) to make it come out a little bit later, just for the summer, just so everyone could relax a little bit. Um, It's still in the morning, but you know, it's not at the crack of dawn. But that's really because we're taking advantage of your absence. Well, I'm I was, to I was that, shocked yeah. to get an email from you at 5.53 this morning. <laughs> I know, it's, a, it's a hard habit to break. Once you start getting up at 3.30, you, you, your eyes just kind of pop open at four in a panic. And so I'm trying to retrain myself, <laughs> but it's not, it's not going as well as I hoped. So, you know, I'm sorry. I did email you, Torpy, at 5.50, and I, I could tell that that startled you. So, Kevin, we just heard all about some of Bill Torpy's relationships. Would you like to tell us what's going on in your life right now? What are you doing? Really, what are you doing now that you're not full-time editor-in-chief? You are editor-at-large, whatever that means. But what else are you doing? Are you catching up on your reading? What's it like? Yeah, I, you know, obviously, I've, I've stepped out of the day-to-day. So I'm still, I still have some, some things I'm working on and, uh, you know, helping Leroy Chapman with some uh, transition stuff when, whenever he, I can be helpful. But uh, I'm in the throes of planning two weddings. My son's getting married. My daughter, one of my daughters, is getting married, and we're doing a bunch of renovations at our house. So I've got I've got plenty to do. And uh, Torby doesn't mind because I don't have time to send him very many column suggestions anymore. So he's enjoying it too. <laughs> Torby, how is your grandson? Is it, isn't his name Hank? I got he is Hank. I got to say that I am rudderless without uh, Riley's uh, suggestions for. <laughs> He doesn't yeah. know what to reject. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now Torpy and I will talk to each other. I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. Okay. Good talk. <laughs> yeah. Need something, to, need something to write about. Um, yeah. But my, my uh, grandson's doing great. Uh, right now, uh, uh, a uh, video of him eating corn on the cob is uh, like meme worthy on the internet. So. Oh, that, that's going to break the internet. Please send that to me. And then I'll post it everywhere. Well, Torby, you have been covering the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center a whole bunch. Earlier this week, we found out that a petition filed by the opponents of the safety training center who want to put that matter to the ballot, that's been approved. And so they're going to be able to seek signatures in order to get that on the November ballot. Now, the catch is that that's going to require 70,000 signatures. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with the opposition. I mean, the the funding has been approved. The center is moving forward, as far as we know. Um, but what else is happening? Because I wasn't really expecting this petition to to get approved. Do you think it's going to go anywhere? Well, it's it's a tall a tall uh, deal for them to come up with seventy thousand signatures. Uh, in fact, I just wrote a story about a, an annexation a, a attempt uh, by this area near Brookhaven, and they spent about a year getting a thousand signatures for this. Uh, Seventy thousand signatures is an amazingly tall uh, order. Uh, and interesting, they have to be like real signatures. Now that's that's the key, right? You know, it, it'll be, uh, you know, if they they come in with the piles and piles of of paper. Where were those people, you know, getting the signatures? Are they registered voters in Atlanta like they must be? Uh, but I think it's a good thing. It, it, this is uh, something for the uh, uh, cop city opponents to uh, direct their energies to. And they seem to have a lot of energy. So this is something that I think would be, you know, if they can pull it off, uh, more power to them. I, I, I think that it's something that, and they have 60 days to do it. So uh, that's that's the key. There'll be a lot of people going door to door. If they get it, uh, it, it shows that there there was a groundswell that 
I hadn't seen outside of going to meetings. When I talk to people, you know, on the street, in the neighborhoods, in the NPU meetings, I wasn't seeing that same kind of anti-cop city uh, verve. So, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, I spoke with a number of city council members after that vote, and a lot of them were getting a ton of really serious blowback, but it was um, very violent rhetoric, death threats, threats against their families. They were having um, police protection. Every member of the city council had police protection with them. Uh, but the the members that I spoke with said they felt like it, it, that was not the majority of their districts. Um, some people in their districts certainly did oppose the training center, but they felt like when they were out and about talking to them, and talking to the people who were their voters, that wasn't the majority of the sentiment. But the opposition itself is very loud, and in some cases, quite violent and really quite scary. And I know you talk to some of them as well. I mean, you always talk to them, but what do they have to say to you? And what have they said lately? Well, just an example of that would be, for instance, Dustin Hillis. Uh, he's the city councilman who's in charge of the Public Safety uh, Committee, which is oversees this. And uh, he ran in his district in uh, northeast Atlanta. And he ran against a person that was running hard on the uh, uh, kind of uh, the, the uh, social justice movement. Uh, uh, you know, the police uh, uh, need to be reined in and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, Hillis won his district two to one. So, I mean, there's a real life uh, uh, test for you. Uh, in that case right there. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, you know, as I said, I just think that a lot, you know, this thing raised a lot of heat. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people were very passionate about it. But, uh, you know, I'd be interested to see, you know, how many of the, you know, 300 and something people that signed up to uh, speak actually are Atlanta voters. A lot of them went out of their way to say they were District 7 or District 5 residents, uh, but it, it, that was still a minority of those who spoke. So, Kevin, the opposition to this, it, it, and especially the intensity of the opposition, seemed to catch Atlanta city leaders off guard, or they certainly didn't seem to anticipate this in a way that would have prevented or... Um, kind of headed this off at the pass. What do you make of the way Andre Dickens and the city have been handling this process so far? Well, I do think it's important to remember that it really started under the uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms administration, right? Exactly. And it has actually been talked about for a long, long time, going back to uh, Kasim Reed you know, about the idea that they didn't have the right kind of training facilities. And so Andre Dickens was handed this, and um, I think he would, obviously was surprised by uh, this opposition that grew and the unusual coalition that came together in opposition. Uh, there's a couple things I think we got to remember with all of this. I mean, Bill is right. 70,000 signatures a lot. And it really means you have to get a bunch more than 70,000 because the chances that everyone who signs understands you know, and their vote, you know, all the things that are required to, to lead to a referendum. Uh, the other thing is, look, police are popular with almost every citizen. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where people like the police. They want the police around. And, and things have changed a little bit over the, over the years. But really, um, it's, it's, I think there's a real chance that the referendum could come out a different way but here's the most important thing. If by going through this referendum process and having a vote and however it turns out, finally resolves this so that the community can move on one way or the other, I think that would be great. Because to me, this thing just keeps spinning in circles, unresolved. And so what's the reality is, is we've had some terrible things happen, including a person die, and nothing has changed. The police don't have a better place to train. There isn't an alternative developed if they're not going to do it here. And here we are with um, a city that's put enormous energy into something and literally nothing's resolved. Hmm. And 
So it really strikes me that uh, some of the same people who are worried about um, uh, criminal justice and police training, uh, worried also about this public safety training center, um, that is exactly what this center is designed to do is to provide more space for training, space that is more affordable than renting classrooms around town, which is what the police have to do right now, because they don't have classrooms to do the training, and um, a place where they can have um, predictable, open, expansive access to have the kind of training that so many activists say they want for local police. Um, So to me, there's a kind of a, a, a disconnect there in the argument against this. I think you're right about that, but also remember that I think the city made a crucial mistake, which was surprising a lot of people with this, you know, Um, and so now you have people who are concerned about having it in their neighborhood, there's, you know, there are people who are advocates for maintaining the green space, so a lot of different things have come together beyond just the police training and that movement um, where people want to create more accountability and worry about de or a militarized police force, all of that. And I, so I think there are a lot of lessons and a lot to unwind here. Um, but right now, it's a pretty loud and, you have to say, effective coalition of people. This should make the city, and I've written a column about this, it should make the, the, the administration and the uh, uh, police department push hard that it is that kind of a training center, the 21st century policing center, that that was the uh, presidential commission came out after the 2014 um, Ferguson case. And that's what we kept hearing. Police need to be trained better. You need to to determine, um, you know, de-escalation tactics and and mental health. And uh, so this should be just that. This shouldn't be Rambo's training ground. You know, this should be teaching cops how to make inroads into the community. So Torpy, the the atmosphere that pushed this center to get approved was this incredible spike in violent crime in the city. And the number the crime numbers go up and down. I think it kind of depends on the day when you're pulling the data. Um, But we're still seeing lots and lots of shootings, a lot of shootings involving teenagers and kids. And the mayor is doing, I think they're looking for ways anyway that they can address this. They've got the Public Safety Training Center. They're recruiting more cops. Um, They're trying to deal with guns. Um, But also they're doing kind of some old-fashioned things like a curfew. And you wrote about this proposal for a curfew. And I was really, I I did not realize the connection um, that one of the city council members had to one of the teenagers who was recently shot. Tell us a little bit about the, the curfew idea and where it's coming from. Well, curfew is is something that's been around kind of for a long time. They trotted out uh, a lot. Uh, in fact, it comes, the, the first time they passed it was in, in 1980 during the missing and murdered children cases. And then they tr- they brought it out again and, and put codified it in 1990 uh, and that was w- during a real spike in crime. That was the, the crack uh, epidemic. And there was a lot of things going on at that time. Uh, but curfew's been around forever. I, oddly enough, I, I was picked up twice in Chicago on curfew violations <laughs> in the 70s. No surprise. Uh, I didn't learn my lesson, apparently. Um, no surprise. But um, anyways, uh, it drove me home and, uh, you know, I was got, I got in trouble. Um but uh, it, it's it's something it's something that sounds good, right? You know, you're you're you know, a you're taking kids off the street that could be causing trouble, or you're taking kids off the street that could trouble could happen to them, right? Mm-hmm. So one way or the other, um, you know, it's it's it sounds good. Um, and uh, the thing is, and, and then they're also going to do a, a PR campaign. Uh, do you know where your children are? It's 9 a.m. or 9, 9, 9 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Uh, and I thought, boy, that sounds familiar. So I Googled it. And next thing I know, I found something from the 80s. And it had like uh, Andy Warhol and Cindy Lauper doing a, a public relations or a public service ad saying, uh, you know, 
it's it's nine o'clock or ten o'clock. Do you know where your children are? That was Cindy Lauper, only a little bit more masculine. <laughs> You're not going to start um, singing True Colors here, are you? Because I'm, I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> but it's just no it's, it's, you know they they keep on you know bouncing this uh, thing around. But you know the, one of the cops I talked to said, um, "Nah, you know we don't have time for that. You know they're they're 400 cops short in the city." Um, and he says, you know, if I if I grab a kid for a curfew violation, that could be two hours. It could be three hours, you know, out of his out of his shift. So they are not going to be and they haven't been doing it in the last couple of years. They've been getting like 40 or 50 cases citywide amongst, you know, 1500 cops. They're making 40 or 50 curfew cases a year. They used to make like 600 a year something like that. I checked the figures um, but, uh, you know, even that, that's not a lot really, you know, so I think, no, it's I guess that's the, the clash of reality and an idea, you know, if you can't enforce it, it doesn't even really exist. So, right. you know, the city, I mean, they're, they continue to, to try and really get their arms around this. I know that Andre Dickens is having his year of the youth. He's launching youth basketball programs, just coming up with any ways that are creative, not so creative, expensive, not so expensive, anything and everything to try and get their arms around this. So what else on that, Torpy? Well, and the, the thing is, though, is that violent crime is down substantially this year. Uh, last time I looked, I think murders and uh, are, are down like 30 percent. And the others, I don't have them in front of me, but they were into the 20, down 20 percent. Uh, you know, uh, right, Bill. Against You're people. right, Bill, because I have the numbers in front of me um, for the latest weekly report uh, year over okay. year. Homicides down 31 percent, rapes down 59 percent, aggravated assaults down 23 percent. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the mayor's worried about a summer spike. They've got it trending the way they want to. Um, interestingly, though, you know, those are what they call person crimes, the way to categorize them, you know, because they're obviously crimes against violent crimes against people. But property crimes like robbery, burglary and motor vehicle theft are up overall 12 percent, in particular motor vehicle theft. Um, that is, according to this, this is, uh, you know, the latest it's the 24th week of the year, end of the week, year over year number. So you're, it's, you know, it's not like a perfect statistical analysis for sure. But um, I think the mayor's right. Bill, one way to put it, this is the mayor's worried that this is going in the right direction, but they're not entirely sure why. And they, they would like it not to, you know, stop and turn the other way. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and curfew, I mean, you know, it's, uh, one of the things I, I, I did when I wrote the story was to talk to some juvenile judges. And one of the judges who was really kind of far out in, in advance of this and speaks to uh, uh, audiences nationally about juvenile justice, he said, yeah, they, they can be a good idea. But then you have to get with the family and you have to get resources around them and mental health experts and this and that. It's not just picking up Johnny and driving him home or throwing him in the in the can, it's all sorts, it's hard work. It's detailed, hard work. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that makes these things happen. But, you know, I don't know if, if they have the wherewithal to, to, to uh, have all these resources help these, these uh, families. Because usually if kids out at, you know, if a 14 year old's out at uh, three o'clock in the morning, there's something else going on in that family, you know? And, and yeah. Getting into all of that is is difficult. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, um, well, Kevin, thank you for that on the ground reporting that tells us that crime is down. Um, I think that's great news. We're gonna, we're gonna all hope that the numbers continue to trend in that direction, and we'll definitely continue to report on that. And Bill Torby will continue to write columns on that um, as our Metro columnist and keep us all in the loop. And the next time that Greg Bluestein goes on a beach vacation, you two guys are coming back in here with me. But the good news is that you are both here for one of our favorite segments of the show. <laughs> and that's the listener mailbag, our weekly pop quiz from our listeners asking us all kinds of arcane questions about Georgia politics or headlines that we're going to hope that we know once we hear what's in the mailbag. So I'm glad that our two city experts are on hand to uh, answer these questions. Jay, do we have questions this week? 
uh, well, it's a short pop quiz. We have a question. Uh, but anytime you want to call the AJC <laughs> podcast hotline, it's open 24-7, despite the fact that our regular producer, Shane Backler, is also on vacation. He's not on a beach, but he is on vacation, and we have our uh, staff of interns standing by. Uh, so call us at any time at 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527, and we'll play your question on the show like this one. Hi, this is Dee Dee from Atlanta. Uh, Greg and Patricia, I feel like I really began to follow you all uh, through your appearances on the GPB News show, Political Rewind with Bill Nygut. I know you've both written about the cancellation of the show, but I was wondering if you could talk some more about what went on behind the scenes and what might be the possibilities for going forward. Oh, my goodness, Didi, you have asked the question of the hour. Um, so for our listeners who may not know, Bill Nygut is a longtime Atlanta newsman here. He started at WSB in 1983 as a politics reporter. And then he has um, been in and around Georgia politics ever since then. He had hosted for the last nine years Political Rewind, which I was a guest on uh, frequently. Kevin was a guest on frequently. Political Rewind was canceled last week, um, even though... So we didn't have any any indication that there had been a ratings drop off or um, that uh, listeners were complaining. Um, what we do know is that the state of Georgia, Georgia lawmakers, particularly state senators, cut GPB's funding by $1.4 million. Uh, that came out of the budget last year, even though the state has a $4 billion surplus. So this was done very deliberately. This was not a sort of everybody takes a haircut year. This was a GPB, you're taking a haircut this year. Um, in the meantime, GPB also invited its CEO to retire and has now told Bill Nygut his show is over and he is leaving the station, although uh, very happily his producers are staying. What we know is that state senators said that they had heard from their own local radio stations, which are commercial stations, that uh, they didn't like the fact that Georgia was essentially funding the competition, paying for um, GPB to have any operations at all. That state money actually goes to education resources, not to Bill Nygut's show. Uh, but at the same time, Bill also you know, has been in this covering uh, politics, covering particularly the 2020 elections. At one point in 2021, he announced he was not going to have any um, election deniers on the show. He uh, was very insistent uh, to really play the 2020 elections um, very straight, but he did. He at a certain point decided not to have anybody come on to defend the president's actions. Um, there is some thinking in the building that uh, that might have been a problem in retrospect for um, for Nygut, uh, that that's not the kind of programming that Republicans wanted to see on GPB. Um, we don't know that for sure. Um, but we do know that uh, GPB has gotten a ton of blowback from listeners, very frustrated that the show has been canceled. Um, he wasn't canceled because nobody was listening. We do know that for sure. Um, we also know that GPB had gotten in the crosshairs of the legislature and they, they um, went in there and cut the funds. Kevin, what do you make of all of this as a, as a frequent guest on the show and as somebody who's known Bill for a very long time? Yeah, I was personally very disappointed. Bill and I are good friends, and he and I conspired together as he sought to build the show with Taya Ryan, the previous CEO's uh, great support, who is also a friend of mine uh, and a, fan, a really accomplished journalist herself. And uh, we, in, in fact, Patricia, the first time I met you, we met in the studios at GPB. Um, and at that moment, I knew we had to get you <laughs> on the Atlanta Journal-Constitution staff. And I set about that. It became my personal mission, and I accomplished it. And uh, I'm very proud of that. All right. But, um, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of you, too. But I, I, here's what I would say. Bill's very disappointed in the cancellation of the show and has been open about it. There's been an enormous um, show of support and outcry over this. And I don't think we've heard the last uh, of Bill Nygut. And I think that uh, we can look forward to uh, what comes out of this. I just believe um, his voice will be part of covering Georgia politics again very soon. Yeah, I think he's going to have an outlet uh, for his for some version of his show somewhere where people can come and find it. Torby, do you have anything? To, would you like to weigh in on the Nugget GPB situation? I was on his show a couple times early on, but I think 
Uh, I have more of a, a, a voice for, for newspapers. So uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I just didn't, didn't go back. I think he, he is an institution. And I know that you learned about politics watching him from your high chair, Patricia. So, <laughs> yes, I uh, did. He's been around a long time. <laughs> Um, he, um, is, and the one thing about him is that he always had a good discussion. You know, I mean, I think that was always the interesting thing. He, he was, a, you know, uh, I always kind of thought he might be, uh, you know, lean, he might be a little bit of a lib, but I think he totally went down the middle in, uh, in, in doing this thing. And the fact that he had, you know, he was uh, not going to have election deniers on the show, I'm sure irked our lieutenant governor, who's uh, uh, I'm not a election denier, is, you know, one of the things that he, um, that kind of follows his name, you know, kind of uh, when we talk about him. OK, our next segment, our final segment, and probably my favorite segment of the show is. Our who's up and who's down, our weekly run up, rundown of who has had a great week and who could do better next time around. We, now, we like to end on a high note. So, Bill Torpy, who's your who's down for the week? Well, I, it, I had a good lead in there. I was going to say the, the listeners of uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting with uh, Bill Nygut uh, being sent to the curb. Um, as I said, he has been a a stalwart uh, and uh, to bang out what he does day in day out is just amazing to, you know, have put an hour of listenable uh, radio or podcasting or whatever it is these days. He, he just really kind of uh, brought it uh, each day and had a lot of interesting guests. And uh, I think just the, the listeners are the losers here. Kevin, who's your who's down for the week? Uh, I've got to go with the United States Supreme Court. Uh, it has the court seems to be completely tone deaf on its uh, the damage it's doing to its reputation. And this week, uh, Justice Alito's Wall Street Journal op-ed debunking a story that hadn't been published yet to me was a, a petulant low point. And I actually did a little work. He spent 268 words, from what I can tell, in that op-ed. Uh, defining the word facility uh, to make the case that, you know, he didn't need to report these uh, benefits he got from uh, someone who took him on a fishing trip. Uh, and I just think it's bad for the Supreme Court. It's bad for our country that the justices seem to be unconcerned with how they're being viewed. And ready to just start placing op-eds in newspapers to f to preempt reports about them. To I, we've, I feel like we've entered an entirely new chapter with the Supreme Court. Okay, my who's down is Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is my frequent who's downer, and she's who's down this week for me because on the House floor, she really bringing decorum to a whole new level on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. She and Lauren Boebert got into a very well-publicized um, spat on the floor, at which point Marjorie Taylor Greene called Lauren Boebert a little bee, and they were having a fight over whose articles of impeachment against Joe Biden should go first. This is just soup to nuts craziness. You can't make what is up. happening? <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. Maybe next week we'll get a different MTG. I feel like we get two flavors of MTG, and I, the, I don't like this flavor this week. So she's my who's down. Um, okay, Bill Torpy, who's your who's up for this week? My who's up for this week, uh, we talked about them, is the uh, anti-Cop City crowd, uh, that they are they now have a task at hand, and that's to go out and find 70,000 signatures. So uh, good for them. Uh, they... It got what they wanted uh, to, to uh, you know, actually have a, an, another uh, project. And, uh, you know, I think this will be ultimately if they get the signatures and they have a referendum, more power to them. Uh, and I think if, if they fail miserably in getting signatures, I think that sends a message. And maybe, you know, as, as Kevin said earlier, uh, one way or the other, I think this might put this to rest. Okay, Kevin, who is your who's up for the week? I got to go with Fulton County. 
uh, the state elections board said, no, we are not going to take over elections in Fulton County, which in, in the world of Fulton County's election history, that's a, as fine and big of an endorsement of their election operations as we have seen in a long, long time. And an important thing with confidence in elections. And I just think that's a big up for Fulton County. I totally agree. My who's up is, maybe unexpected, former President Jimmy Carter still with us. Uh, In February, we had news that he was going into hospice care and a whole group of us from the AJC rushed down to Plains out of just sheer fear that this was the very end for Jimmy Carter. Um, And uh, he has continued to defy every expectation in his life just about. And he's got a 99th birthday coming up and his Grandson Jason Carter predicts that he will be celebrating that 99th birthday. So Jimmy Carter, every day that we have Jimmy Carter with us is a who's up. So he is my who's up for the week, Jimmy Carter. Well, thank you guys both so much for filling in for Greg Bluestein. It took all three of us to get his job done today, but I think we got it done. I feel really good about the way this podcast has come off. Bluestein is a force of nature. It takes, it does take uh, multiple manpower and woman power to to equal one Greg Bluestein. I got to tell you, I'm concerned about this vacation policy. I would have never let uh, Shaney B and Bluestein off at the same time. And in fact, Patricia, I would have called him in today just because that doesn't seem like a good policy for uh, the politically Georgia podcast. We can't we can't let that happen again. Yeah, no way. I completely agree. I put the exact same um, note in the suggestion box on the new editor's desk at the AJC. And so I hope that he will start cracking the whip because I think it's unacceptable for both of those guys to have vacation at the same time and leave me here trying to man a podcast for which I'm un... unqualified i'm not done jay jay is in charge of all of the podcasts and so you want to look like extremely professional and i've got this whenever jay dips into the podcast and so jay (laughs) has found out behind the curtain it's not so smooth (laughs) i've I've reached a different level of my career when i'm making people nervous Ain't that the truth? Okay. Well, thanks thanks to all three of you who did show up to work today. Kevin, you didn't even have to. You're just volunteering. We really appreciate that. I wanted to be that. part of the uh, Irish triumvirate <laughs> in this podcast. That was really what Absolutely. Motivated. Irish power all the way. Okay. Agora. Well, thanks. So- <laughs> On that note, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all of the stories we talked about in today's episode and the summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.